Guys, this is going to be a great episode with Dave Losher of GoHunt.com. And I'm excited to share uh, this episode with you because Dave's going to talk a lot about the filtering 2.0 system. Uh, with the draw season, the application season coming up, uh, I know researching and trying to figure out what what units and what states and what animals, uh, you know, getting the best uh, statistics and uh, filtering 2.0, they're about to come out with probably the best draw odds uh, system uh, that, that's ever been seen. Um, just uh, some really cool stuff going on at GoHunt.com uh, Insider. I want to thank you uh, for listening to this podcast. I want to thank you for all the emails that I get, all the comments, and uh, all the positive feedback. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you guys taking your time here to listen. And, and uh, one thing I would ask you is the best thing you can do for uh, me and uh, this podcast is tell your friends and uh, share, share this with your friends. And um, I just appreciate all the support. Uh, guys, I want to thank uh, my two sponsors, GoHunt.com Insider. Um, if you haven't uh, signed up for GoHunt Insider, uh, click on the blue Join Now button. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code and you'll get a $50 Kuyu gift card. I want to thank them. They've been my sponsor from the beginning on this podcast. Um, also, DeadeyeOutfitters.com. They make hunting t-shirts, hats, and, and hoodies. And um, uh, they have just, uh, they're, they're hunters that make hunting uh, clothing. So they have hunters in mind when they're making this stuff. And I get a lot of feedback from listeners that uh, go on their site and order stuff and uh, like what they see. And uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you automatically get a 10% discount um, on all, uh, all the stuff at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. They're actually doing a holiday special, and uh, you get 25% off on all merchandise. Um, so use the J. Scott promo code, and I want to thank them for their sponsorship, and they've got a bunch of great stuff coming out here in 2016. So um, guys, let's get right to the episode with Dave Losher. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got a really cool episode with friend Dave Losher of GoHunt.com. Uh, Dave has had many roles over at GoHunt.com, one of which is content creator and he's in charge of brand partnerships over there and has had his finger on the GoHunt Insider and, and uh, built that from the ground up and I'm excited to talk to Dave. Dave is a very avid hunter and um i've known him for some time dave it's great to have you on the podcast how are you good good jay thanks for having me here today i'm excited excited to be here and get a chance to talk a little bit yeah i know um both of us have had very very busy falls and i know that uh you actually had some fantastic tags this year going into the fall and um you had some great hunts with your brother pat whom uh, is your hunting partner, and, and I've known Pat. Pat's one of those guys that uh, not a lot of people know about, but um, he's probably one of the biggest silent killers, as, as some would say, as, as anybody out there in that. I mean, he just stacks stuff up left and right, but really, um, y you never really hear about him. Yeah, no kidding. He's, uh, he's somebody I've always looked up to, obviously. I mean, he's my big brother, um, and we've grew up hunting together and he's got that i guess you can say it like a sixth sense or an x factor about him he just has a knack for figuring things out 
um, finding the big stuff and actually just getting them getting them killed. Uh, I really admire him. I've learned a lot from him, and we certainly make big, big sacrifices with each other. And I think that that sacrifice is unique in a sense that our relationship allows us to, you know, he draws a tag, a big tag, <clears throat> or I do, and we make a sacrifice for each other. I will kind of put my stuff on hold, make sure I'm there with him because, as you know, Jay, you know, when you have a partner out there hunting with you and you have somebody that's helping you, whether it's on the glass or, or what it may be, it just helps to boost your, your morale and your spirits. And you, two guys can find about three times the amount of game as one guy. So it's just uh, yeah. just unproven. For sure. It, it's, you know, um, a lot of people ask me how Dara and I are so successful. And I, I in our own hunting uh, and, and in our guiding, I, I think one of the things, and you can weigh in on this, it's, um, when you're hunting with someone that's just as committed, whether it's their tag or your tag, and you know that they are giving 110%, and as a matter of fact, they push you because you're thinking, I'm over here on this ridge, you know, Dar's over there on that ridge, or in your case, Pat's over on that ridge, you know, I got to go, 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 I got to find bucks because I know he's over there pushing every bit as hard. I think... Um, you know, I, I would wish everybody out there could get a hunting partner that can push them and push their own limits. Um, but it's nice to have a hunting partner, too, that's ever bit as excited about your success as his success. And, you know, I think that's hard to come by um, a lot of times in today's, um, you know, day and age. It's, you know, everybody's got their own schedules and everybody's got their own responsibilities. And, it just doesn't seem like very many teams can put in dual effort. And, you know, I, I think that's huge in having a hunting partner where you know that, you know, his time's valuable, your time's valuable, but you've both committed to however long the hunt is. And you know that, you know, you need to do your part to not let him down. And he, he you know he's going to do his part to not let you down. And I think you just described it perfectly. I mean, in addition to what you just said about, you know, he's over there and I've got to do my part and and really try to produce. I mean, what we do also, just boosting one another's morale, you know, it's easy to get down, let's face it, whether it's a missed shot opportunity, whether it's a blown stock, whether it's just, you know, maybe you just didn't do a great job of glassing or whatever it is and you just feel like you, know, you had an off day or an off morning. It's easy to get down and, and you need that other guy just to kind of, I don't know if it's punchy in the shoulder or smack you upside the head, whatever it may be, just to kind of kind of bring you around and let you know that you know tomorrow's a new day or this afternoon, and don't you got to get each other, you know, keep each other producing. And he and he does that for me. He really brings out the best in me, and he's he's so committed. And man, I just tell you what, I, I feel so fortunate and blessed to have him as a as a committed partner. It's just been great. Yeah, that's awesome. I know you guys just got off of a a deer hunt, um, and Pat was able to harvest a phenomenal deer tell me a little bit about that yeah this is uh this is kind of a unique opportunity he it was out on the uh the eastern side of colorado you know he it was an opportunity to harvest white-tailed deer it was one of those tags that's an archery tag where he could he could pursue either species and in this thing he he had a benchmark you know he wanted either a 190 plus mule deer pat's been fortunate to have harvested a lot of big animals with his bow um or he wanted a whitetail that would exceed, you know, that 165 mark. Um, fortunately, we were able to locate a whitetail, and it's a spot and stock situation. It's not one of your, 
you know, you think of bow hunting whitetails, and we all sit and think about them. We're thinking maybe hardwood bottoms or whatever it is, sitting in a tree stand and and just waiting and waiting and waiting. And that's a fun way to do it. But this way is a little bit different. We're we're spotting stalking. You're sitting behind tripod mounted optics and and really pouring in the time. Well, one day we were together. We we found this big buck that was um, he had a hot doe with him, and he was trying to keep her away from another buck. And it's it just so. It was one of those things when you first see an animal for the first time that you just know is giant, and you know what I mean by this. I mean it just it just stood out. His beams were super long. Everything about him, his body was just a tank, and uh, Pat made up his mind right there. That's that's what he wanted. That's what he wanted to go after. And um, it was one of those situations where you know he found him one morning, and uh, later on in the hunt found him, and the buck actually was with the doe, went over the hill, and kind of pinned her down like they do when the does are hot. Not a lick of cover, I mean, nothing. All he had was gra- grass about maybe waist high, not even waist high, probably knee high. And Pat decided to slither in on him. I mean, no assistance from a, a radio or anything along those lines. It was just, you know, mono a mono. And Pat went in and, and got into 42 yards. The buck actually had to stand up to reposition because the doe wanted to move and he had to pin her back down type of thing. The buck stood up 42 yards away and he, and he put it right where it needed to be. And I'll tell you, the buck. Ended up being giant. The main beams on that white tail are, are just under 30 inches, 29 and 7 eighths on the main beams. The buck ends up grossing over 183s, just a just a buck of several lifetimes. And to do it the hard way with a bow, that's pretty cool. That is really cool. That's awesome. That's cool that you guys were able to enjoy that experience together. And um, Dave, I know you had some tags uh, this year in the fall, and I know talking to you in the summer uh, on the phone uh, you know, your expectations were very, very high. Um, walk me through how your fall went and, um, uh, you know, how those opportunities went and maybe what you learned from them. Yeah, no problem at all. You know, I, as you know, Jay, you and I have known each other from back when I did live in Arizona and I was an Arizona resident. Um, you know, fortunately prior to leaving, I, I got a lifetime license, so I still get to have the privileges of being able to pick up an Arizona tag, maybe more so than other non-residents, but, um, what I, what I did this year, first tag I drew was an Arizona archery bull tag. And, and I was pretty excited. It's a unit that we'd known, known well. It was unit 10 of Arizona. Um, Pat and I spent a lot of time out there, whether it be on our own, our own adventures or maybe helping other family members, friends, or I've done some guiding in the unit as well. Um, so I was excited about that. And then after that, the next tag I found out I finally, I was expecting in Nevada, as I applied for Nevada, all the species and most points I had were for deer, and I put in for some re- relatively easy archery deer opportunities or units over there, and when the draw results came out, and I saw my name under successful, and it said, you know, in, in Nevada, they say longbow for archery, you know, and I saw longbow sitting there, and I thought, that's got to be one of those deer tags, and I looked closer. I was blown away to know that I was one of the two non-residents that drew a an archery elk tag in, in Nevada. So in this particular unit, which is a, a good unit for producing big bulls, it's it's not far from home here where I live in the, in the southern part of Utah. So anyway, I had two great elk tags under my belt, and I thought this is a year to remember. And then I also had a local general archery deer tag here in Utah and, and poured in a lot of time scouting, trying to locate a few bucks. And and lo and behold, we had a phenomenal moisture year, as you know, across the West and just in most places. And this was no exception here locally. And found some great bucks. Bucks that just got me so excited. And then all of a sudden, I went from, you know, it's kind of one of those when it rains and pours type situations because 
<laughs> here I have two great elk tags that are early season. They're going to take place in the tail end of August into September. And then I've got this deer tag with these just awesome bucks found and pattern. And I've got to figure out how to pull them all off. And it, you know, it was just one of those times where I thought for sure I was going to be able to produce three giant animals. I thought there's no way I can go wrong. And then after all the dust settled, it was just one of those times, kind of a wake-up call of sorts. And I, I made a few mistakes, a few errors, uh, kind of planned time incorrectly. I should have focused on one of the tags more so than another one at a different time. And I just, even with the, the amount of time and experience I have in hunting and stuff, I still just fell short. And after all the dust settled, I came up empty-handed. It just blows me away because I thought this would never be the year for that. But, hey, we live and learn and we move on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's part of it. I think, you know, sometimes there's those years when you've really got nothing going on and all of a sudden you, you know, produce a giant animal and it came out of nowhere. And then sometimes you've got what you think is the highway laid out perfectly in front of you and you come up empty handed. Um, did you, did your, did you just have misfortune as far as, um, uh, hunting at the wrong times or was it more a function of too many great tags and, and really not being able to really focus, whereas if you'd have just had one, you probably would have been able to put all your eggs in one basket. Um, talk a little bit about when you get too many tags in one year, you know, the way a, a lot of us apply in all these different states, sometimes that can happen. What advice can you give to someone that maybe finds himself in the same situation? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And, and really what I had here was a little bit of everything that you just touched on in that question. Um, first and foremost, you know, it's my first tag that came available is the local archery gear in Utah. And, and again, with some great bucks figured out and patterned, I really should have poured my time into that. I, I really should have got going. But just a week or two after that, or within two weeks after that, that, that Nevada tag is starting. I want to say it's a week later. And that Nevada elk tag is something that if you really look at the non-resident statistics on drawing for elk in, in the state of Nevada, it's probably the hardest state to draw an elk tag in, honestly, um, when it comes to when it comes to just pure random percentages. Because in the state of Nevada, there's never a guarantee. It's a total random state. They do have, you know, your bonus points that they square every year. You know, you get squared points. So that's going to help you out a bunch as you accrue more and more points year after year. But drawing that tag was just such a, a major thing that I kind of started to lose focus on that local deer tag when I had some, some exceptional bucks figured out. And I found myself not putting the focus and attention on the deer, and I started thinking about the elk, and I was scouting over there for elk a lot, going over there, went over there a little bit early, and, and here came the season. I was pouring all my time into the elk, and I realized, you know, Nevada's elk, archery elk season starts in the tail end of August. And if you really think about it, August 25th, I want to say, as you know, Jay, that's that's early compared to what you're used to in Arizona, I'm sure. Um so, so really, it wasn't peak rut. It wasn't even really what I'd consider to be pre-rut yet. And I was found myself in Nevada, pouring my time in over there, trying to find some some bulls from pre-scouting that, you know, just are moving moving very little at that point in time. So, if I had to do it over again with those two tags, what I would have done is is really just stayed focused on the on the Utah deer and and not even bothered with the, the Nevada elk tag until later. So, one thing led to another. I obviously I burned up the time that I should have been investing into the deer chasing the, the elk there and uh and the opportunity presented itself on the elk in um in Nevada and I, I gotta be honest, it was just one of those real rookie mistakes that I made. It it was one of those things where obviously I've, I've had the, the experience in the field. I knew better. 
Um, my brother did a great job calling this bull in. It was a bull that we had found um, during the middle of the season. Big, big bull. He's a seven by seven. Um, really, really all over that 380 number. He may have gone a little bit higher, maybe a 385 bull. Just I've got, I've got video to remind myself and painfully remind myself throughout the year now. But finally had an opportunity. Pat called that bull in. Had one shooting lane he was going to walk through, and I found him entering the shooting lane, and it was only a 38-yard shot. And as the bull entered the shooting lane, I just I failed to do what we all know to do, which is just make a cow call with your mouth and stop the bull. I didn't stop the bull. I found myself having to take a moving shot when it was just not a smart choice, and I hit a branch and, and made a clean miss. And it's just one of those things that's always going to haunt me, but I tell you what, I don't think I'll ever, after this year, I won't fail to, to stop a bull again. You know, it's it's situations like that where you learn the hard way that just makes you better. And, you know, I think it's um, sometimes it's hard to recognize with our own egos and such uh, how, you know, someone as advanced as you are and has as much experience. It's funny, though, st still I find myself making all kinds of mistakes. Um, and, and some of them are, are, are what I would call rookie mistakes. But I, I think it's the ability to realize that you made a mistake. And, you know, like you said, you probably will not make that mistake again. Um, and it happens to everybody. And I think uh, one of the things that people can, that are out there listening, and I've got a lot of listeners that are real advanced hunters, and I've got some that are just starting out. And I think the reality is people need to know that, you know, it's still hunting and, and it, you know, anything can happen and you try and minimize your mistakes as best you can. And you try and, you know, uh, do everything correctly, but you know, sometimes just stuff's going to happen and that's just the way it is. Um, I want to bounce back to your bucks. Um, and you know, one thing that's always interesting to me is patterning those velvet bucks. And then, you know, towards that, uh, end of August, uh, time frame, um, do those bucks feel the pressure and they just change their habits? Um, or what makes that, uh, I've got a lot of friends that, you know, they get these bucks all summer long. I mean, they're getting trail camera pictures. They're seeing them like crazy. And then for whatever reason, those bucks either a disappear or B, they just change their pattern and it throws a big wrench into their plan. Um, what were you seeing those bucks doing, uh, that you were, that you were looking at? You know, it was interesting because through the summer, and I mean from uh, tail end of June, you know, well in through July into the early part of August, these things were, were pretty locked in a pattern. I mean, it was like every time I'd go out and glass, I could pretty much count on seeing, you know, the same groups of deer. You know, once in a while you wouldn't see one of them, and it, but it was I was never concerned because I'd always find them again at another, maybe the next morning or whatever it was. And I was putting in quite a bit of time just trying to keep tabs on them. Another thing, here in Utah, you know, and it's no secret, I mean, a lot of the big bucks you're seeing in Utah that people are killing are, um, Utah is one of the last states that allows you to, um, you know, do more than just salt. You can actually put down bait, whether it be a an attractant, you know, like a buck jam type of a product, or you can even put down, guys do, they'll put down apples or peaches or whatever it is just to kind of keep things attracted. Well, um, uh, to, to kind of get a better inventory of the bucks in the area, I did have some of that that I was putting down, and I was able to to get some some real solid pictures. But luckily, it was the same. The bucks I was finding were the same ones that I was glassing up. So it wasn't like I was I was really discovering new stuff and only seeing it with the camera. I was able to glass, and it was in a spot that I could still go out and do a spot and stock um, later. But 
I think that one of the, to answer your question, I think this year was really interesting. We had an awesome antler growth. You know, we had a super mild winter, which everyone knows about last year. And then we followed it up with spring moisture that was just literally off the charts. Um, and the, the horn growth was great. Now, I don't know if because it was a mild winter, maybe the, uh, and I, we all got our theories, and I'll just share my theory here, and, and I'm sure someone's listening out there will probably prove me wrong or think I'm a joker for saying it. But, you know, we come out of a mild winter, and you have all this incredible moisture, you know, the antlers, um, the antlers are shed. I think that when you have real mild situations like this, maybe the deer start to grow out early. Maybe they start actually growing their next set of antlers at an, at an earlier date. Maybe it's just a week earlier. Who knows? But my theory is maybe that happened this year because I found bucks that were shedding their velvet this year earlier than I found in years past. So, and, and, and it's no secret that when a buck does shed his velvet, that that's pretty much, you've got a very, very short window, if any, for that deer to stay in that pattern. And typically, once they go hard-horned, it's pretty much over. It's anybody's guess, especially when you're hunting in areas that have, you know, a lot of juniper, pinion juniper type stuff, or any any other thick, thick, um, thick cover. Those bucks will retreat, and they'll, they'll head to that thick cover and become more solitary. They're not going to be running in the big batch that hurts quite as much. And, and then it becomes tough. And I think the older deer tend to do that more quickly as far as becoming very solitary and, and, and hiding. And that's really what I was dealing with. The one buck in particular that I was really, really after is a big giant typical. And I, once he went hard horned, it was all bets were off. And it happened very early. And like I said, I was kind of tied up with that elk hunt. And it's just one of those learning uh, learning processes. I wish I would have poured all the time into that first week of that archery hunt because I could have got, I know I could have got him killed. Well, I think um, if you're faced with that opportunity again, I think you'll uh, make make a you know quote unquote better decision this time. And uh, you know sometimes it takes those heartbreaks to uh, realize um, you know to do things differently the next time. Um, Dave, uh, I want to take a quick break here and hear from our sponsors. Um, but before I do that, I was reading uh, GoHunt.com last night, and I noticed that Utah announced. Uh, 2016 big game uh, hunting rule change and uh, one of which is hunters who use muzzleloaders or bow will also be able to make some changes to the equipment on their weapons beginning with the 2016 season. Bow hunters will be permitted to attach a range finding device to the bow and scopes of any magnification are now allowed on muzzleloaders during the muzzleloader season. Um, I know that those muzzleloader elk and, and such um, one of the gripes has been that the, you know, I think it was a one power scope, um, that they were allowed to use. And, um, tell me what you think about those changes. You know, I think it's, uh, I think it can be a double-edged sword. I really do. Um, you know, obviously the first or the second one you mentioned there with the range finding device on a bow, you know, that's, <laughs> you and I both know those range finders were so heavy and cumbersome that they used to make that I think Bushnell had one that came out years ago and it, I mean, it's like a boat anchor, and those things kind of went out with Nixon. So that's that's nothing to really consider there. But the other one, that, the one that does impact things, and I think is a is going to be a big deal, is that that muzzleloader. You know, we're basically now Utah is basically able to do the same thing that Arizona and New Mexico do, where there really is no limitations whatsoever on your muzzleloader, um, and that increases the range. I mean, now you start talking. If you're going to get really really creative, and you're really going to you know, get out there and, and, and work your projectile and, and figure out exactly the sweet load for it and the right the right powder charge and everything else. I mean, with the right scope on that, you're able to shoot consistently. You know, a 200-yard shot is no longer a real big deal when you're, when you're putting a 3-9 to nine scope on your muzzleloader. Um, 
And I'll tell you what, there's those ultimate muzzleloaders and some of those other, you know, bad bull muzzleloaders. These big long-range guns that are high, high velocities are pretty much matching almost what a what a centerfire rifle will do. You put a uh, you can put a, a turreted scope on those, and you're talking one shot, 500, 700 yards, is not a big deal. I know it sounds crazy to think of a primitive weapon that can do it, but those two manufacturers produce some high, high velocity muzzleloaders that make that capable. So. What does that mean for the game? I mean, obviously, as a, as a unit manager, a biologist, they're going to have to start really taking that in consideration when they start talking about their harvest because harvest is management, and they're going to have to really keep a close eye on what happens this year with the harvest, with this new weapon that people will be carrying, and it's going to have to take a hit out of maybe the allocation on other, other season choices. Maybe it's going to come out of the rifle allocations. I don't know, but so that's why I say it's a double-edged sword, but I think those that are going to have muzzleloaders, uh, muzzleloader tags now, yeah, high chance of success now in the state of Utah. Absolutely. I, I, I think you're right. Um, let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors. Guys, GoHunt.com Insider is the title sponsor of this podcast. Get everything you need in one spot. Join Insider today. Find and plan your hunts more effectively than ever. Complete state coverage. See detailed information for every unit, every species, every hunt. Interactive maps. Quickly find hunts that meet your exact search criteria and explore them easily. Strategy articles. Learn new things and find hidden opportunities with exclusive articles. Species breakdowns. Top trophy units are hiding in plain sight. Find them with our statistics and historical data. Another great thing about GoHunt.com Insider is they have monthly giveaways that are worth 100,000 plus a year. Each month you will automatically be entered to win gear, tags, and hunts. That is if you're an Insider member. Past prizes include a $22,000 doll sheep hunt, uh, three Red Rock Precision Rifles with the $21,000 value, uh, five Zeiss Conquest HD binoculars with a $7,500 value. Not to mention this past July they gave away four hunts, an antelope hunt, two elk hunts, and a mule deer hunt. Join Insider today and get a $50 Kuyu gift card. All you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash insider, click on the blue join now button, use the promo code jscott at checkout, and GoHunt.com will send you a $50 Kuyu gift card. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for being the title sponsor of this podcast. All right, Dave, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the filtering 2.0 system of uh, GoHunt.com Insider. And, um, you know, they've just launched the filtering 2.0 uh, with the uh, uh, harvest uh, statistics and being able to compare different units and such, um, as well as you know, Go Hunt Insider. Uh, there's a lot of uh, over-the-counter uh, opportunities, landowner tag opportunities. Um, it's just some exciting times there at uh, GoHunt.com, and they're they're about. You guys are about to launch a very sophisticated draw odds uh, filtering system. Um, what can you tell me about uh, what they've got going on over there? Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, we just uh, right now as we're recording this, as, we're, as you and I are talking, Jay, we have um, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation Banquet has been going on down in, in Las Vegas. It's a 10-day show. It's the RMF Elk Camp. And uh, we have a booth down there, Go Hunt does. And we're able to share this filtering for the first time with people 
you know, face-to-face and really walk them through and give them a little bit of a demo, if you will, on exactly what filtering 2.0 is. As you know, as you know well, and hopefully a lot of the listeners out there do, um, you know, GoHunt has tackled the West in a little bit of a different way. We've created what's called a unit profile for every individual unique unit in the West in every, in every state that we cover. And what that allows you to do is you take it all the way down to the unit level, talking about the species and the access and all the nitty-gritty, and there's, there's, there's some great narrative in there, and it just gives guys a leg up, and it gives you the ability to research like never before. Well, now with the filtering 2.0, that we've added in, we've added in a couple more ways to use that um, to, to actually do your research and you do it yourself and it, it's it's revolutionary, I think. What, what you're able to do now is you can go into any given state, let's just say you go to Arizona and you just click on the state of Arizona, it's going to come up and it's going to show you every unit within the state of Arizona. Here's the Arizona map right in front of you, it's going to show you every unit. Now you take it one step further, select your species and you say, you know what, I really want to just know about elk in Arizona and you click on you click on elk, and now the units that do not offer an elk season in that state, in the state of Arizona, they turn off on the map. They, the, the lights basically turn off on those, and just those come forward that have elk seasons available. And then you take it to the next layer, and that's going to be there's a slide on there where you can slide it all the way over from the lowest setting on trophy quality, all the way or trophy potential, all the way up to what we have as our highest setting of 380. So you can say, on trophy potential, I'm really looking for one of these Arizona elk units that provides me with an opportunity to harvest a bull of whatever size it is you want. So let's just say you slide it over to 350 inches as a trophy potential. Now, that's not a guarantee that you're going to go find a bull that's 350. And it's not a guarantee that you're certainly going to harvest one that's 350. What we mean by trophy potential is, is, this, is a, this is a unit that is known to produce 350 bulls year after year, you know, to a, an irregularity. So it really gives you, you know, a puncher's chance of, uh, of being able to do that. So you, you, you do that, and then those units that don't have, let's just say you set it on 350, those units that aren't known to produce 350 bulls, those then turn off. So now you have a, a much more consolidated, smaller group of, of units to select from, and you, there's many other ways you can go now. Now at this point, you can say, okay, this is great to know, but you can put in a date range. My only dates I have available next year are October 1st, October 31st, September 1st, October, whatever. You select your date range if you want to, and then it'll layer one step further. It'll actually filter again saying, of these ones that are still here, the 350 bulls, elk, Arizona, now here are the ones that have seasons that actually meet your criteria of dates. And if you'd like, you can even throw in your weapon type, maybe you're a muzzleloader hunter, maybe you're an archery hunter, maybe you're a rifle hunter, maybe you don't care and you just want to select all weapons, whatever it may be, but it'll filter out accordingly there as well. And there's one last layer that's available right now today, and that's you can filter also by harvest success. Now, for a guy that's coming in from out of state, you know, maybe for the guy that's, in, that's really already understanding of a certain units, maybe harvest success doesn't mean as much to some, but for a guy that's coming a long way and he's selecting between two or three different units, to be able to look at one that might have, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can move it on over to maybe 40% harvest success or 50% harvest success, whatever it is, and certain units will turn off and others will come on. So you can filter all the way down based on your strict criteria or your unique criteria, I should say, and find something that, that fits you perfectly, and then it, it really narrows those options down. Now, if you obviously, the higher you go in trophy potential, that's going to, to bring up fewer and fewer choices. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it would be great for people that are hunting states that they're not familiar with 
uh, and, you know, say mule deer in Idaho or Wyoming or what have you, um, and they really don't know which, you know, key units there are, um, you can very quickly uh, narrow down maybe four, five, six units that, uh, that, that, that you need to be looking at, and then from there you can research further. So I think it's a, a great tool, and then, um, you know, it's the big uh, buzz out there. Uh, we've got draw odds coming, and uh, what can you tell me about that? Yeah, draw odds are going to be, you know, we've, we have been very, uh, let's say, selective, maybe very picky about how it is we want to display our draw odds. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. And some states, let's face it, it's very, very simple. I mean, it's just we're talking elementary mathematics to be able to calculate a true draw odd. When there's one choice and one choice only for any given, for a given state, let's just say they give you one choice and everybody's first choice is considered before it goes on to the next applicant, that's pretty simple to calculate right there. Um, that, that's not rocket science. But on other states, like Arizona, where they consider two choices before they go to the next applicant, or the state of uh, New Mexico, where they're going to consider three choices before going to the next applicant, or even the state of Nevada, where it even gets far more broad and confusing, where they consider everybody's five choices before they go to the next applicant. So they draw, they draw Jay Scott, they're going to look at your first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice, fifth choice, and if all those are full, then they'll go, or if they issue a tag either way, then they're going to go to me or draw the next guy, and let's just say it's Dave Locher, then they're going to start to consider mine. When when you're considering more than one draw choice, it's it's very, very complex as far as how it can mathematically be calculated. And even then, it can never be calculated with exactness, if that makes sense. Um, so it, it took a little bit for us as far as did we want to tackle it ourselves uh, the way some maybe others in the industry have, or is this something that we wanted to really reach out and find the proper help? And what we've been doing for quite a while now is we reached out and found a, uh, basically we'll call it a mathematical scientist, so I think that's the term that's used. It's basically mathematicians and statisticians to help us analyze these draw systems based on the data, and they, they look at so many different reports to be able to come up with what we feel, and we feel comfortable now. We feel like we truly have what is the most accurate way to represent draw odds across the West and all the states. So, yeah, that's that's coming out. That's right around the corner. We've actually got um, we've got it so close to being finished. I just wish it were live right now, but we're going to be able to take that filtering down the road one step further where you can even filter out hunt choices by, you know, maybe it's I've got seven points or eight points, and you, you can put that in, or or maybe it's, you know, 20% draw odds or or more of the types of, types of seasons I'm looking for, or maybe it's 10% or 5% odds, whatever it is, you'll be able to use that criteria as well. And that's going to be, I think it's going to be game-changing, Jay, and I, I think you'd agree with that. Yeah, I can't wait for it to all uh, come together and, you know, having what you have on there now with the harvest statistics and harvest success um you know filtering all the way down through the units um it's uh it's really special and unique uh for sure out there and um it's going to be exciting once the draws get up there um also um now dave touch a little bit on um over the counter opportunities and landowner tags uh with gohunt.com and and what role they play you know I, in my mind they play a pivotal role and in the landowner tags across the West. Um, talk a little bit about that. You bet, you bet. Well, you know, our insider members, you know, we, we have these we have these insider exclusive articles, which you've seen, and these, uh, these articles are written to really give people 
information or, or an edge that get a leg up with something they can really sink their teeth in, good information. We actually have a few articles that are written on different areas in the West that have over-the-counter opportunities. So we want to bring it to their attention. Maybe it's something, um, and we'll talk, your, your state right there, you know, I call it yours in my home state, Jay, because I consider Arizona still my home state. Um, very overlooked is that that January, December and January, or even the early velvet stuff, but the January in particular, the coos deer with a bow. I mean, as you know, you're, you, you run you run coos deer hunts very successfully in the in Sonora, Mexico, and in your success, almost all the time comes, I'm sure, in the month of January. You know the behaviors of those coos deer in January. They're just so much more vulnerable. It's the best time to be out there chasing those coos deer. And what very few people realize is that, you know, Arizona is definitely uh, a destination that that's available in mo- almost all the units and so many units with a bow over the counter each and every year. Guys can just go do it. And it's something that's kind of overlooked. So that's one of those examples. And then Idaho's mule deer is phenomenal. Idaho's elk and Colorado's elk. There's just so much opportunity. Now, back to the filtering we just talked about. One of the criteria, the search criteria and the filtering that you can actually put in is you can say, I'm looking for a unit in the state of Colorado. I know they have our creep over-the-counter or even rifle over-the-counter elk opportunities. I want to find a unit that can give me a 320 bull that I can go over-the-counter. You can select over-the-counter rifle. You can select over-the-counter um, archery. You can select whatever season it is you're looking for. So you can put in over-the-counter 320 bulls, and it's going to show you what few units there are available that would meet that criteria. And then you can do your research from there trying to make a decision as you read those unit profiles to really get a, a really good understanding of which unit. Maybe maybe one unit's more physical than another. Maybe you have a bad knee. Maybe there's something that, you know, you have an injury that you're kind of getting over and you don't want to go climb the most extreme stuff. Maybe you don't want to backpack too far. So that's really where comparing between the different units through our unit profiles is going to give you an understanding of which one maybe fits you better and which one would work better on your calendar this year. So that's that's about the over the over the counter. I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity out there that guys are overlooking. Now, with landowner tags, you know, Gohan is obviously um, we've been a big player in the landowner tag market, one of the leading players out there as far as listing landowner tags and making landowner tags available um, to the hunting public. So, yeah, great resource. You know, Gohan.com. You can go right on there and click on landowner tags. You can actually use our filtering system. Again, we've added a filtering system in for landowner tags. You can filter by state, by species, even by weapon type, whatever, and you can find landowner tags that fit what type you're looking for. So it's kind of a unique thing. Instead of just finding a shotgun, blast it out there a list that you have to look through, you can actually filter through it and find something that meets your needs. And, and landowner tags are. You know, there's a lot of guys that know about them. It's no big secret anymore, but for those that don't, it's a great way to, to sidestep or circumvent the draw, get around the draw system while you're still building those precious bonus and preference points because they do not affect your bonus points. If you buy a landowner tag, let's say in the state of Colorado, and you're building deer points and you have eight points, and you know you can still apply for a point only this year or maybe apply for the hundred as you want, but you know you're not quite there on the point level yet, and then maybe buy a landowner tag in that unit or another unit or something else, but you're, you would not affect those points. You'd still be able to, to accrue points while you're getting out in the field and hunting. It's a great opportunity. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I want to point out to the listeners, um, obviously, GoHunt.com Insider has been the title sponsor of this podcast uh, since the beginning and uh, very appreciative of the support that I've gotten 
um, from Lorenzo and, and, you know, you guys over at GoHunt.com. Uh, I will tell the listeners, uh, uh, the new listeners that maybe are listening to this episode for the first time, if you want to sign up for GoHunt.com Insider, uh, go to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider, click on the blue Join Now button, uh, use the J. Scott promo code, and uh, GoHunt.com is actually going to send you a $50 Kuyu gift card when you use the J. Scott promo code for signing up. And um, you'll get to see this resource uh, and the filtering system that Dave has been talking about um, right here at your fingertips. And uh, with the draw odds uh, soon to be out here within within weeks, um, I think it's and definitely here before the application season. Uh, you know, I'm getting emails all the time with people that are researching uh, different units. Now is the time to uh, sign up and and get on that. Uh, uh, get get all that information there at your fingertips. Um, so use the J. Scott promo code. Um, Dave, I wanted to transition a little bit here and talk to you about the changes to the Arizona non-resident tag allocation. Um, I know we've been hearing uh, a lot of things that are um, in the works, and I know you've been in close communication with the Arizona Game and Fish Department. Um, tell me what is uh, been finalized and, and what is happening. Yeah, no problem at all. It's, um, this has kind of been a long time coming. I mean, it's, it's, it's brought up, as you know, Jay, in all your local, you know, commission meetings and the public meetings where people can voice their opinions. And, and there's there's been a big complaint over time in the state of Arizona. You know, when you start talking about not just the premium hunt choices out there, but those ones that – would, would kind of become a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing, like an Arizona Strip tag. Um, you know, Arizona Strip, uh, unit 13B, let's just talk about, you take a rifle tag in Arizona 13B, and they may only give out 60 total tags. And if that's the case, out of that with a 10% limit to non-residents, that leaves six non-resident tags. And the old system, and the old system, the way that we've always done it out of Arizona before, is that they used to... Uh, what they used to do is, is would, they would allocate 20% of the tags, 20% of the total tags would go in the bonus pass draw, which is the first phase of the draw. Now, that first phase of the draw, obviously there's a, a, a high percentage of non-resident applicants with the most points, and that bonus pass are going to select exclusively from those. Those first 20% of the tags are going to come out of that, that highest accrued point category only. So... And when that was the case, on those high, high demand seasons or units like this, the, the, the season in Arizona Strip, the non-resident quota would be filled. That 10% quota of non-residents would be filled in that 20% overall pass. So, therefore, leaving nothing for random drawing. So, you had to have either the most points. You had to be in that highest tier group to be able to have a chance as a non-resident before. Well, that's that was kind of... Um, a little bit demoralizing, and it was kind of a downer for those guys that maybe weren't in that pool, and maybe they were two points below, because statistically, they would have to live to be about 200 years old to be able to have a chance if you were even three points <laughs> behind them. There's not a strip, and, and let's just face it, that's not going to happen. So it, it kind of was a, it was, it was a loss of hope for so many applicants out there. So many avid hunters, really, I just I talk to them all the time, whether in the field, over the phone, or whatever over the years, and it's just, and I'm sure you've had those same conversations, it's disheartening for them. So now Arizona's recognized this, and it was a hard decision for them. In September, I believe on the 4th and 5th of September, the commission met, 
and they approve, finally they approve something to make it better for the non-residents. Now, it's not going to change the total number of tags of non-residents. It's still going to be 10% cap for non-residents for each hunt choice. But instead of allowing all, let's just keep this illustration going, I'm using on the Arizona Strip, where there's six total tags uh, for that one rifle hunt choice, instead of all six of those being able to be drawn out of that bonus pass that we talked about earlier, now they're going to limit 50%. 50% of those non-residents for that hunt choice are limited to be drawn out of that bonus pass. So once those first three are drawn in this illustration, and then those other three non-resident tags that are available for that hunt choice are saved for what's called a random pass, which is the next pass of the draw. And, and what that does, albeit, albeit a small chance, at least there's a chance for three guys with z anywhere from zero to whatever point level to be able to draw a tag. And guess what? Three guys' dreams are going to be made true or come true because of this new system change. Now, this goes across the board. I'm only using the Arizona Strip as an example. The same thing, Unit 9 Elk, Unit 23 Elk, Unit 10 Elk, all the way across the board. It's going to provide random opportunity for non-residents to be able to get their hands on these tags even if it's a small percentage, at least it's a chance. And, it's and Dave, to take that one step further, just so I'm clear, in Unit 9 tags, there's usually 100 tags, so 10% of those, or excuse me, 10 of those tags uh, can go to non-residents. Now what it will be is five go to non-residents with the most points for that unit, and then five will be completely random draw from zero up to whatever that max point number is. Exactly, exactly. So the okay. point level, you know, there's still going to be a minimum point level to be able to be competing for those first five you just talked about out of the max point. But then the other one's random. There's going to be just a random chance to draw those across the board. And that's, that gives hope. I mean, as you know, you talk to non-residents every year, Jay. You're booking hunters in Unit 9. And you know the excitement, I'm sure, when they call you up and say, I finally did it. I'm ready, Jay. Let's do this. I mean, think about it now. You're going to have guys that those guys were anticipating that you've been talking to. Now you're going to get some guys that maybe only have six years under their belt, and they're going to just not know what to do with themselves. I'm sure it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's, um, that is going to be an unbelievable change. You know, I think for the people with max points, obviously they're not happy about it, but yeah. that leaves everybody underneath those that have max points that are ecstatic about it because – you know, quite honestly, it gives them a chance and, a you know, it, it's, yeah, it's a small chance, but at least they have a chance. And, you know, I think for the, for our state, it's going to make applications go up, which means better money for our state. And, you know, even though people say, well, more people will put in and our odds will get worse. Yeah, it will. But the reality is, um, you know, our Arizona Game and Fish does a pretty darn good job, even though on this podcast, I oftentimes get critical of them. I think it's it's important to note that they do a pretty darn good job, and they need money in order to uh, manage the animals that we all love to hunt. Well, you're exactly right. I think Arizona does a phenomenal job of, of managing their resource, and I think there's some other states that can certainly uh, learn from their example there. And you're, you're right. And you just said it's you know it is a double-edged sword of this change that's coming up because those that have been waiting, and let's just say they they knew they were one or two years away now from finally getting to draw. You know, and my heart goes out to those guys. Those those applicants, those sportsmen, those hunters have been waiting, and now all of a sudden, it may have been two, three years away. It could be five, six, seven years away from guarantee, maybe ten years away from guarantee, and that that hurts. 
So it's really, it's one of those situations that's been hard for the Arizona Game and Fish to come to a solution on this. And, and I think what they've done is just, the, it's just the best overall solution, but it's going to, it's going to affect some people um, on both sides. It's going to be too bad on that, in that account, but, but overall it's going to be good. Yeah. Um, Dave, I know um, your time is precious and I really appreciate you being on the podcast here with me. Um, I, I want to end by talking about uh, you've got a few hunts here in 2016 that uh, that you're eyeballing uh, straight in the face. I know a couple years ago you came down and coos deer hunted with us in January, and uh, I know you've got an opportunity uh, to go back down to Sonora here in, in January 2016. Tell me a little bit about what you have on your plate uh, so far that you know of coming up for hunts in 16. Yeah, you bet. I'm going to be going, uh, as you said, I'm going to be going to, in the tail end of January, early February. I'm going to be hitting the desert ranch down in the uh, the area around Hermosillo, actually, southeast of Hermosillo. I'm excited. I'm going to be going up with a good friend of mine, Jer Cox, from back home. Um, he and I were, were business partners in, in, in the old days, and, and we really get, we grew up as friends. And it's going to be a good time. Also, some other friends of mine here, uh, here locally in, in southern Utah are going to be joining um, we're going to have a great time down there. And it's just the, the difference, as you know, Jay, in the desert versus I was able to hunt that mountain ranch with you, and it's just so fun. You've got the big open slopes and big glassing, and you always have a, a, a really, really big, uh, you know, view to look at. You know, in the desert, as you know, you get a lot of that flat stuff, a lot of that rolling flat stuff. Maybe it's going to be sitting a lot more water. You do have some desert hills where you can do some glassing, but, you know, some of it might have to be glassed off a high rock or or a windmill or something along those lines. So it's going to be a little bit of a different thing there. But as you know, also there are some very big coos deer that are uh, that are living down in the in the in the deserts and around Hermosillo. So I'm excited about that opportunity. Um, in addition to that, I've been sitting on the points. I've got the points needed to draw a muzzleloader season in uh, in Colorado that I, that I want to do. It's going to be a high country hunt um, for deer. Yeah, it is. It's going to be for deer yeah. in in Colorado. Uh, I've been able to hunt this unit before, and and uh, my brother and I have had some pretty good success in this unit. It's a lot of fun. I think I've got some big deer, and it's obviously going to be one of those things right now. I'm planning on cashing in those points because I'm kind of tired of packing points. I'd kind of rather pack deer, so um, I'm going to cash these points in. But I'm going to watch closely. We've got quite the winter. It, it's it, it's already starting. I mean, it's, it's cold. We've got snow early. Um, Colorado's experiencing it, but then we're in a mild week this week with another storm coming. I want to make sure we don't suffer any winter kill prior to being able to pull the trigger and apply. So um, as long as everything goes as planned, yeah, I'm going to head to the high country. I'm going to muzzleloader hunt for deer. Um, if it doesn't, then I'll be headed out uh, probably on the eastern side of the state, maybe do something a little bit different, uh, go out there for mule deer or whitetail, similar to how my brother did, and be able to find some success out there. Because those animals out there typically don't winter kill like you do on the on the western slopes. Um, in addition to that, Jay, I've got I've got points built up across the west and in many many states. And like I said earlier, you know, I thought this year was the year I was going to draw that um, that archery deer tag in the state of Nevada because I I've got I don't know when I have 12 or 13 points I can't remember. Um, so I, I'm applying for archery choices over there because I like to hunt that early season. I I like to hunt mule deer that are patternable, obviously. Um, and I, I'm expecting as much as you can expect. I'm hoping to draw this year in Nevada, and that, that would be a unit that's not too far from me. I'm really close to the Nevada border where I live right here within an hour, so that allows me to kind of get out in Nevada and do some scouting and try to pattern my own buck. So hopefully right now 
as I can see it right now, I want to be in Nevada on an archery deer hunt. I'd love to be in Colorado, either high country or on the eastern side. And then Sonora in January. And then, you know, in addition to that, I think that um, this next year I'm going to be going to either Nebraska after a whitetail, or excuse me, Missouri after a whitetail, or uh, I'd like to go to Idaho over-the-counter mule deer, utilizing that, that filtering tool we have. I've been really excited looking for a few options for, for mule deer in Idaho, and I'll tell you what, there's a lot of opportunity there. That's awesome. Sounds like you've already got uh, great plans for 2016. I can tell you that uh, I have hunted the flats uh, in, in, down by Hermosillo for coos deer. I actually shot my biggest coos deer personally uh, down there, and you know, um, I think you're doing right by going at the end of January, beginning of February. Um, it seems as though those deer, the further south you go, the later that they rut. Um, I will tell you that a lot of those ranches, uh, and if I can give you some advice, I would go to the highest cone peaks you can find where you can see 360 degrees and, um, you know, sit up there as you do. And I know you're a big proponent of big binoculars, and we'll get into that on another episode sometime. But uh, uh, get up there and just glass as much as you can, and it seems as though those deer um you know like to move if the rut is on they'll be moving kind of on and off all day and um you know one of the challenges as you know uh with those desert ranches is it's flat and sometimes you're up high and you can see the deer but as soon as you drop down in elevation um they become hard to find but that's why they get big and um you know it's it's an exciting time to be in Mexico I would encourage anybody out there listening that that hasn't been down to Mexico to hunt coos deer or mule deer. Um, it's it's an awesome time of year to be down there. A lot of parts of the country are cold and snowy and what have you. And, you know, you can go to Sonora and have, you know, 15, 20 degrees in the morning and, you know, 60 degrees, 65, maybe even 70 degrees during the day. And um, beautiful weather down there. And, and the people are great and the food is great. And obviously the deer hunting is fantastic. So, um, great. Sounds like you've got some great plans for 2016. And um, Dave, I really appreciate you spending time with us here on the podcast. And uh, you're always a, a great friend of, of mine personally and of the podcast. I appreciate all your support and um, congratulations of all the hard work you've been putting in over at GoHunt.com and, and uh, working with uh, Lorenzo and the guys over there with the Insider. And it's really exciting to see um, you know, these different stages of GoHunt.com Insider and, um, you know, Lorenzo, I was talking with him the other day on the podcast and, you know, he was kind of saying, you know, like the Apple, you know, the, the iPhone 1 and then there's the iPhone 2 and he's like, this is the equivalent of, you know, like us going from the from the iPhone 1 to the iPhone 6 and um, <laughs> so it, it's pretty cool to see um you know the forward thinking that uh you guys have got over there and and um the electronic platform um i just think it's way more user friendly and and exciting to see all the stuff you guys got going on over there i appreciate it jay it's always fun to talk to you and I, like like you said I, I feel the same way good friends and let's uh keep the contact and communication open all right buddy sounds good god bless you and i'll talk to you down the road maybe uh see you at a trade show or something and if i don't talk to you shoot a big deer in sonora and i uh, can't wait to see the pictures all right all right take care jay thanks